Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. And, uh, you know, it has been uh, just a joy being with the campus ministries. The campus in the house. And uh, my wife and I lead the campus ministry, which is uh, UCLA, Pepperdine, SMC, West LA College, and LMU. Come on! Uh, but uh, it has been just a joy. Do we have the do we have the stuff going? I want to show you how joyful it's been. That there is my family here, and uh, my daughter's not too fired up. This is our Christmas picture, and uh, she had some smiley ones too, but this one, she got kind of the freak out, uh, but she has uh, just been a joy uh, to Ashley and I. Here is her model pick, and here is her candid pick, uh, but uh, we're not putting her in modeling, but she has just been an absolute joy, and uh, we as a family have just loved the campus ministry it has been such an inspiring time in the campus ministry. I'm going to be able to share a little bit about that. And uh, we just love, love the group. Recently, last week, I went to Tucson. And I went to Tucson with a man named Greg Russell, who helps uh, lead a campus ministry of a sister church in Long Beach. And a guy named Chaz Zenteno, who also leads a campus ministry in Orange County of a sister church uh, down there with them. And uh, we went to really go and inspire and, and speak with the campus ministry there. There's a church in Tucson of 75 members, and uh, we, you know, were able to talk to the campus ministry, which is about 25 of them, and uh, it was such an inspiring weekend to be with them. You know, for 75 people, members of the church, they have uh, every Sunday between 130 and 150 people out to their Sunday services. And, uh, you know, on the, the Saturday that we were there, we had the whole church come out for an hour to be able to share on campus. And uh, it was awesome. There was this one uh, sister that was uh, in her late 80s out there handing out, they, they, they hand out gum to share their faith. And so she was handing out gum, and you cannot say no, okay? To a, a, she was an 88-year-old woman handing you gum. You just go, okay, I want gum. I, I, don't, I don't mean like juicy fruit, but I'll take the juicy fruit. And, uh, and she had prayed. She said, God, I pray that I'm in a group that has a lot of people that come out and uh, to church the next day. And so she went sharing and her group had eight friends that came out to service from that sharing there. And uh, so it was just such an inspiring time to be together with the Tucson Church and really love them. Today, what we're going to talk about is who's bringing you to Jesus. Who is bringing you to Jesus? You know, loneliness is becoming one of the most uh, talked about subjects in psychology. One of the most researched topics in psychology. We're going to look at a clip about the loneliness in America. And yet, if you look at the way we are increasingly living our lives, it shows the extent to which we still buy into those myths of loneliness and values of autonomy and independence. For instance, if you look at the percent of one-person households in 1940 across the United States, it was largely less than 15% of the households by state. Fast forward to 1970, and it's grown to be between 15 and 20%. Fast forward to 2000, and it now exceeds 25% in most states in America. And that light blue state, Utah, in the 2010 census, has gone darker blue. The prevalence of loneliness is also on the rise. 
In the 1980s, scholars estimated that about 20% of Americans felt lonely at any given point in time. Two recent nationally representative surveys indicate that this number has doubled. But you don't hear people talking about feeling lonely. And that's because loneliness is stigmatized. The psychological equivalent of being a loser in life for a weak person. And this is truly unfortunate because it means we're more likely to deny feeling lonely, which makes no more sense than denying we feel hunger, thirst, or pain. For living with loneliness, we now know is a major risk factor for broad-based morbidity and mortality. Consider a couple of the conditions we know about premature death. Living with air pollution increases your odds of an early death by 5%. Smog. Living with obesity, we know a national health problem, increases your odds of an early death by 20%. Excessive alcohol consumption, 30%. A recent meta-analysis of over 100,000 participants shows that living with loneliness increases your odds of an early death by 45%. Wow. Staggering. You know, he goes on, you know, he said... 40% of America reports feeling lonely throughout their lives. You know, not just one period of time, but that they have a feeling of loneliness. That, that's just kind of what constitutes their emotional state. He goes on and says 45% more likely to die if you are a lonely person. You know, guys, we are becoming a lonely nation. You know, a quote here from ABC News, it says, We may friend more people on Facebook but we have fewer real friends. The kind who would help us out in tough times, listen sympathetically no matter what, lend us money or give us a place to stay if we need it, keep a secret if we shared one. You know, what he's saying is that, you know, we may be more connected than we've ever been in our lives, but we are so lonely. We don't have many friends at all that we're a lonely Nation. You know, as you think about it, why are we so lonely? He, the, the guy in the, in the uh, TED Talk referenced it a little bit. We're so lonely because we can believe the myths of autonomy and independence. You know, there's a culture right now in America, but more specifically in L.A., of just autonomy and independence being the way. That we need to drive, we need to do more. And this is causing us to be lonely. You know, we are lonely because it's telling ourselves where we're supposed to be. You know, in the campus ministry, this is something that's uh, very prevalent, is that you see students that are just, we've got to do more, we've got to drive harder, we've got to do more things, be in more classes, be involved in more clubs to get that grade, to, to get into the grad school. You know, in the workplace, we've got to have progress. We've got to have more money. But what we're doing to ourselves is creating just absolute and utter loneliness. You may be saying right now, you know what? That's not me. That's good for those lonely people. I'm not a lonely person. But as you think about it, you know, again, what you said about the Facebook, it's not just the people that we have acquaintances that we call friends here and there. It's the people that we can really be real with. That's something that's so different about the church is being able to really be real. We have actual friendships. But I think this is a huge issue even in the church of just being lonely. You know, as it pertains to what we're talking about, guys, we need friends. 
We don't just need friends to hang out with, though. We need friends that bring us to Jesus. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark 2. In Mark 2, we're coming into a story here with Jesus. It's a little bit longer of a passage, so I'm going to start reading, and you guys can catch up with me. Mark 2, verse 1. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such, a large, in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? I mean, stop for a second. Just think about that scene. You know, if I just just look, look at Ash, Ash, stop. What are you thinking about my lesson right now? Would you just stop thinking about that? That'd be trippy. That'd trip you out. Like, if she was like, yeah, I am thinking about that. No. But, you know, he stops. He goes, why are you thinking this way? In verse 9, which is easier to say, this is Jesus speaking again, to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, we see this paralyzed man, right? He needs help. He needs to be healed. He needs to be brought to Jesus, but he couldn't do it alone. He needed people around him. He needed friends to bring him to Jesus to be healed. You know, I think we can relate to this man. I think we can relate to this paralyzed man. As you think about it in your own life, what can be paralyzing in your relationship with God? What are some things that can paralyze us? You know, whether we're a Christian or we're not a Christian, these things can paralyze us. You know, the first thing is fear. I think fear can have a paralyzing effect on us. You know, fear of stepping out on faith, taking the leap of faith, living radically the way he calls us to live, the way Jesus calls us to live. You know, this is something that one of the sisters in the campus ministry brought up. She said, FOMO. Who knows what FOMO is? Okay, what's FOMO? Go for it, Sai. Fear of missing out. I had never heard of that. And apparently neither have you. Uh, but fear of missing out. We can have a fear. We can be so paralyzed in our spirituality because we're so scared of missing out on all the other things that are going on in the world. And if we really give our hearts to God, we're going to miss out or we're going to get left behind. You know, again, we're so progress-oriented. Progress, progress, prosperity, more, more, more. That the fear of, man, we're, we're going to get left behind. We're not going to get all that we want if we go after a relationship with God. Or the fear of the calling. Feeling like, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm like. I can't do that. The calling is so high. 
is so lofty that if I really did all that he was gonna, I'm not even gonna be able to make it. And we can just be so full of so full of fear that it paralyzes us spiritually. You know, the next thing is sin. Sin paralyzes us. You know, maybe it's sin that we're so embarrassed about that we just don't talk about it. You know, that we think, you know what, I, I just, you know, I, I've got to work it out on my own. You know, it's me and God. I, got, I can deal with this sin. I got this stack of self-help books over here. Or I got the Bible. I can do this. I don't need other people. And we get so embarrassed. And we don't open up. And we don't say anything. And we don't confess our sins that we just get stuck. We get paralyzed in our relationship with God. You know, for me, I shared, I, I believe earlier, uh, or shared by a priest before, that growing up, you know, I, I became a disciple at 13 years old. And growing up in the church and, and all those kind of things, it, it was, there was a pressure. Not that was put on by my parents, not that was put on by anybody else. It's, it was just present, you know, to be incredible, to be an awesome Christian, to do all that, you know, you read in the Bible, that, that's got to be your life. That when I would blow it in sin, I just felt so embarrassed, like I know many of us have experienced. And I, I was battling in high school with a pornography addiction. And I would just not want to get open. I wouldn't want to share it because I was so embarrassed. And so that would lead to deceit and lying. And it was just this web, this constant web that was just weighing on me. It was so paralyzing to my relationship with God that I, I, just, I felt like I, I got to certain points that I, just, I don't know if I can do this anymore because I was so paralyzed that I didn't get open with people. I didn't let other people in. But I also wasn't changing or fixing it. I just felt paralyzed, trapped. You know, addictions, like I talked about, can be things that absolutely paralyze us. You know, sometimes a huge one is acceptance of sin. You know, accepting sin in our lives or the lives of people around us and and not really saying anything about it. You know, yeah, that person calls themselves a Christian, but they're they're not really living like a Christian. And it just paralyzes us. It cripples us to not be able to really do what God's calling us to do. You know, the last one is guilt. Guilt can be incredibly paralyzing. You know, God can never use me because of what I am or what I've done. That I can never be used because I'm just so guilty and bogged down by the kind of person I am or the sins I've committed in our past. We can be so, such guilty souls. Here I am, I'm supposed to be a Christian and this is the way I'm living. Oh, God doesn't want me. God can't use me. And the guilt of what we've done or who, who we are at times cripples us. You know, the guilt of feeling like how we're doing as a parent can cripple us. You just feel like, man, I, I'm not doing enough. I'm not there enough. I'm not, I, I should have done, I should have done. I oh, can God even really use me in parenting? And we can feel so guilty when it comes to all these different areas that we've blown it. We have messed up, possibly. And just feel like, I don't know if God can really use. These things can cripple us. And guys, we've got to be brought to Jesus through relationships with the people around us. These things cripple us, and we can't get there alone. We can't get there alone. You know, another aspect of this is the idea of spiritual solitary confinement. 
spiritual solitary confinement. You know, I think for a lot of us, we can put ourselves in spiritual solitary confinement. Some of us do it intentionally. And we just say, you know what? I don't need anybody else. I'm going to do me. You guys do you over there. And we're, you know, I'll see you on Sunday. Great to see you, bro. Don't be doing well. All right, man. See you guys later. And I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get connected. I'm just doing my own spiritual thing and hope you guys are doing okay over there. Some of us do that. But the most, most of us, that's not who we are. It's not that we want to be like that. But our lives and the ways that we've set up our lives create this in our lives, create this in our spiritual walk, where, you know, our schedules can be so jam-packed that there's just no way to really have a, a solid time with God in the morning. And we just, we just start to fade and we disconnect and we start looking for the little Bible app, you version, scripture of the day, and read that and go, yes, okay, that was my quiet time for the day, and let's keep going here. You know, the scripture was like, Jesus wept. You know, you're like, yes, I am filled up. Jesus is emotional. I am too. Yes, here we go. You know, but we can put ourselves in solitary confinement. You know, where our schedules are so jam-packed that we just can't get time with other people. Or this, we can say, you know what, for my spiritual well-being, this is, I just, I've got to, I've got to have my limitations. And yeah, that's true. We need limitations. We need to be able to have our sanity. But at the same time, we can be pushing away the thing that's going to give us our sanity. These spiritual men and women around us to get our perspectives where we need to be. You know, I was looking at this picture online. And, uh... I was talking to Gloria Baird about this as well as some of the lessons. She was saying, you know what? It's crazy how just we can be together but not be together, you know? And, uh, you know, as we, as she was saying that, we kind of looked down and we all had like our phones out, out and we're looking at our Facebooks and liking pictures and stuff on our news feed. But we, we can be together and still be in spiritual solitary confinement, right? Just because you all hanging out together doesn't mean we're hanging out together anymore. And I think we've got to understand, you know, I looked up uh, just an article on solitary confinement and the effects of solitary confinement when it comes to the, uh, the prison system. It says, in isolation, people become anxious and angry, prone to hallucinations, wild mood swings, and unable to control their impulses. Guys, this is exactly what happens to us spiritually. This defines what happens to us spiritually when we're in solitary confinement. You know, we start getting anxious, don't we? Anxious about our lives. We, you know, for me, I can just start struggling with anger. I can just feel like everything is at the edge. Everything is to the limit. My schedule is so crazy. There's just no way that I'm going to be able to get it all done. And so I can lash out at home and just get angry and be short with my wife. Or I can just be frustrated with the different people that I'm working with in the ministry. If it's not done exactly how I want it, I can just, I'm just alone. I, I just can't control it. You know, we can be prone to hallucinations. How, how can that be? Well, you know, we can start seeing the world around us as this is the true world. That this is the real world. That the spiritual realm, that's a cool idea. That's a cool concept. But when it comes to the Bible, that's not the reality. The real true reality is the here and now. Is how much am I making? Where am I advancing to? What am I doing next? 
and God's reality becomes something completely different, and we start to hallucinate about what's going on. You know, mood mood swings, as I shared about, can't control our emotions, unable to control our impulses and desires. You know, guys, when we have solitary confinement, it is so difficult to overcome sin. You feel powerless. Can anybody relate to that? You know, I, could, I, I feel powerless when it's just me. And the opposite is true as well. The opposite is true as well. You know, when you have people in your life around you that are helping you out spiritually, it's just, it's, it's not, there's not an anxious bone in your body. You know, I mean, there's times where stressful things come along and you're able to process it with somebody else and they're able to redirect you to God and you go, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, okay, that, that totally makes sense. And there's a peace you know, your anger starts to go down. The hallucinations go away because you start seeing things for what they really are and you see all the ways God's working. And you're just blown away by, wow, there's this whole different world that I didn't even know existed that now is being open to me. You know, the mood swings start to go away. We can control our emotions. We can actually have peace about what's going on in our lives. Guys, we can't put ourselves in spiritual, solitary confinement. You know, how dumb would it have been for this paralyzed man to say, you know what, I really want to get healed. But right now is the best begging time of the day. Right now is the best begging time of the day. You don't understand. The traffic is solid. And when I put my hands out, there's always this money coming in. And if I leave right now to get healed, I don't know what that money's going to come back. You wouldn't say that. Right? Hey, I can't be healed right now. It's just not the right time in my life to be healed. There's a lot going on. No, you wouldn't say that. You would say, sign me up. Where do I got to go? Let's do it now. Now. Are you ready? Now. Let's go. You, the four of you, got me? Each corner. Let's do this. Okay. I'm ready. Like, let's go. Because you would understand the despair that you're in and what you would be receiving. Guys, we got to connect with this. You know, God's been doing incredible things in the UCLA ministry. And uh, I've just been so excited to be able to help uh, some people come to Christ here. And uh, one specific guy is uh, named Josh Thomas. And uh, it's interesting that two people that I'm going to talk about today, both of them went home to bring their families to church in their local area. So neither one of them are here. Amen. Gifts in heaven for them. That's awesome. But, you know, I was uh, I came down in March. I moved here in May. I came down in March to spend some time with Kendall Party. And uh, that really is his last name. Uh, and uh, so... We went, we ate some uh, delicious Panda Express. That was awesome. I said, let's go shoot some hoops. He goes, where? I said, let's go shoot in Poly Pavilion. He goes, can you get in there? I said, I don't know. Let's try it. So there's like 48 doors. We got to the right door, opened it up. Boom, we got in. Check. Okay, awesome. We're in. Then we go down. Not, the basketball court is not usually set up. It's not all the time set up where the hoops are up. This time we go down, hoops are up. Awesome. There's not usually basketballs there. Look around. There's a whole stack of basketballs. I go, this is divine intervention. We must play pig together. And uh, so we start shooting. He's beating me P.I. to P. 
And uh, I played basketball in high school. I was kind of bitter about that. Um, but we're, you know, we're shooting. I go, man, okay, I'm, I'm going to shoot. I'm just going to go for a half-court shot. It wasn't completely half-court. You can kind of see it. It was probably 10, 15 feet from the three-point line, so whatever that is. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot it. And lo and behold, shoot it. I make the shot. And uh, it was amazing. I started screaming. Uh, I've never made a half-court shot in my life. And he started screaming, too. We were screaming together in unison. Then he had to shoot the shot, so he wasn't screaming anymore. He was like, dang it. Uh, but so he goes, double or nothing. I go, okay, let's, let's do this again. Right as he says that, walking out of that, that, uh, that tunnel right there, right underneath my hands, if you can see it, uh, is a 6'7 dude, okay, walking out. And so I call him over. I say, come on, man, let's, let's, uh, let's bet on this. I just made this half-court shot. It, what are you going to bet me? I can't make it again. And he says, uh, he goes, I, I have no idea. I go, bro, if I make this, you got to go to church with me, okay? Before, he, he doesn't even know what I said. As I say that, I, I shoot it. It hits off the back of the rim, the top of the backboard, and goes in. Mind you, I've never hit a half-court shot or, like, close to a half-court shot life in my life, okay? Shot in my life. I hit two in a row, okay? That must be God, all right? And uh, and so now all three of us are screaming, ah, you know, can you believe it? And uh, and so then he's, he's you know, freaking out. We're all freaking out. And he starts walking on his merry way. And I go, no, no, he's got to go to church with me. And, uh, and so I run over and go, bro, you made the bet. He's like, I didn't even hear what you said. Okay, bro. Well, anyways, you got to come to church with me. Go, would you be interested in that? He goes, absolutely. And uh, so I, we exchanged numbers. And then for the next six months, it, he went through a really, really hard time in his life. And uh, it was so encouraging. You know, Kenny and Kendall had spoken with them, like he had known them for the past couple of years. And, uh, and so they were in a, you know, a friendship with them. And Kenny just you know, heard about this, and so would keep kind of dropping texts to him. And eventually, that was in March. In September, he texts Kenny and says, you still going to church? Can I go to church with you? And, uh, and he comes out, and he just says, you know what? I'm so just beat up spiritually. I just, I just need some friends. You know, and he read this passage, and we sat down and talked. Oh, this is him. Yes. The Rico Suave picture. Uh, that's before he jumps out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. Uh, but he reads this passage in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. This is Jesus speaking. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he reads this passage and he goes, this, I, I haven't experienced this with this whole Christian thing. He goes, this hasn't been my experience. It's, it's just been like driving, driving, driving hard. And I want this. He says it's going to be like this. Where's this? And we said, bro, let, let's just build this friendship. And so we study the Bible, but really we're just focusing on building a friendship. And it was so encouraging. You know, he was telling me, he, he got baptized a couple of weeks ago. And he was telling me as we were driving couple days before his baptism, he said, you know, I, uh, I, you know I, I love the Bible studies. All those things were great. He goes, but when you and I had lunch on Sunday afternoon, and we had had lunch quite a few Sunday afternoons, the brothers would come over to my house. He would come over to the house. We'd eat some pizza, and we'd watch some football or some basketball. And, uh, and he said, when you handed me this, uh, this blanket, 
He said, you hand me a blanket. You go, bro, you going to take a nap? And, uh, and, I, and I laid down on the couch there and started to kind of doze off. And I thought, man, I have finally found this family I'm talking about. That it can, I, he, goes, I, he goes, I can do this now. And he, I was like, take a nap? And he's like, that's a good nap 15 seconds later. But I thought, yes, I can do this kind of Christianity. Right? He goes, I can do this where, where it's friendship. And yeah, we want to do things for God. Yeah, we want to push the envelope. Yeah, we want to be faithful and do incredible things. But we need friendships to get us there. And he has been such an encouraging addition. You know, even what he's doing now and going down and bringing his family to church. It's been so inspiring to see his life transformed through God using friendships. Amen. Last story here as we close out is, I have a girl named Princess. And uh, as I shared, she's in a sister church over there in the central, uh, central heart of L.A. And uh, bringing her mom to service today. And, uh, but she was sharing, you know, at her baptism just that her life has, she's had a lot of circles of friends. But she's been extremely lonely. And just that I haven't had a real family through it all. You know, and her family life has been very, very difficult. And even during the Bible studies, there was a lot of different things going on in her life. And, you know, she was a part of a sorority, and it was so superficial and so hurtful to her. And just, I, I, you know, just feeling like I just don't have any real friends. And I was talking to her about this passage. You know, here in Psalm 68, verse 6, the first part of that passage, God says the lonely in families. And she was just sharing, she just broke down and said, that, that's what I feel. I have a family now. And it was so inspiring just to see, and it's been so inspiring just to see as she's become, you know, a member of the campus family there, just her heart light up. You know, she was at the Valentine's Day dance yesterday with Chris Mathis. They were dancing and all. You know, they were having a blast. She was just having such a good time. But just feeling like, man, this is what it's all about, is building this family, building these friendships and bringing people to Christ through that. You know, in conclusion, guys, we need friends. We need friends that are going to be willing to carry us to Jesus. And we cannot survive in spiritual, solitary confinement. You know, a few practicals here for how to, how to go about this. You know, for a lot of us, whether, again, like I'm saying, if we're Christians or not Christians, if we've been around for 30 years or we've been around for two weeks, you know, we can get in a rut. We can, we can have a difficult time having these spiritual friends that are going to truly bring us to Jesus. You know, the first thing, let me click it. Sweet. Oh, there you go. Is find spiritual friends. Find spiritual friends. You are in a church right now. There are a lot of them around you. Okay? Find people that will bring you to Jesus. Okay, I'm all for just hanging out. We need hangout time. But we also need people that are going to be willing to bring us to Jesus. Do you have them right now? Do you have those friends? If not, we need to find them. We need to find some friends. The second part is we've got to listen. Right? We can have these friends and they can tell us a lot of really good stuff. But if we don't listen to them, if we don't allow ourselves to be carried on the mat and taken to Jesus right, then it doesn't matter. We've got to be willing to listen. And in closing, we've got to act. We've got to put it into motion. Guys, I love this church so much. I have had such 
an incredible time leading the campus ministry. But guys, we need spiritual friends to bring us to Jesus. Amen.